Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I pity the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Hello and welcome to another edition of Fizz 5. Today is Friday, November 3rd. It is cold in Syracuse. My name is Ethan Frank, joined this week by the wonderful Liam Griffin. Back together, the old Fizz 5 pair and doing it together again. Liam, how are you? I'm doing well, man. Like you said, it is cold outside and early November. We got our first snow of the season a few days ago, but I don't know what's colder, Ethan. The temperature or the Syracuse football team? If that isn't a tease, I don't know what is. Let's get right into it. Number one. Friday night, Syracuse football takes on probably its biggest rival in on the on the gridiron, that is, in Boston College. Uh in a game that, you know, one team is coming in on a four-game win streak and one team's coming in on a four-game losing streak. Uh Syracuse has been a topic of Dino Babers has been a topic of conversation here in central New York over the past week. Uh, locally and nationally when it comes to people talking about his his job security. Um, we heard you, Fizz Nation, uh, during and after the Virginia Tech game. Uh, uh, I, I thought, you know, your your activity on our Twitter page at Orange Fizz was was tremendous. We had one, one tweet that got 66 replies last <laughs> I saw. So if that doesn't go to show you how fired up people are about the state of this football program, I don't know what is Liam heading into this game tonight. Well, where are you at? Where I'm at, Ethan, is it could be the same old story in two different ways. One, we have this thing about Dino and his depth and how he wears down year in and year out. And that's 100% true this year, right? You start 4-0, you lose four straight because you're starting to wear down over the course of a long season once you get into ACC play. And that has been the mark of Dino's tenure if there ever has been one. But on the flip side, you also have a chance to right the wrongs against Boston College again, right? Last year, the Orange had lost five straight going into Chestnut Hill in a game, frankly, they probably shouldn't have won based on how they had played for the first 45 minutes, but they put up 26 points in the fourth quarter to snap that skid. If you go, if you lose, you, a win over your biggest rival, Ethan can change the course of the season for better or for worse, right? If SU goes in and pulls out a win today, who's to say they can't win three straights to close out the season? If SU loses to what many consider to be an inferior Boston College team, what's to say you don't lose out the rest of the season? So this game could go a long way in terms of Dino Baber's job security, even the coordinator's job security, Ethan, as well as does this team go bowling? Yeah, I mean, you think about momentum. Boston College is is coming off. They beat Georgia Tech. They beat Virginia. They beat Ar- like Army. It's not like this is a, a, an Eagles team that has beat a bunch of world beaters on this four game winning streak. Whereas Syracuse, on its four game losing streak, has a uh, has fallen to some big guns, but also some teams that you know maybe when Syracuse lost to them, were like, oh, you know, this isn't a terrible loss. And and since then, in the case of Clemson and North Carolina, those teams are probably not as strong as when Syracuse played them a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, you, you have to look at it at, at both ends. I would be pretty surprised if this wasn't a close game. The line, the last line I saw was Syracuse favored by two and a half points, which I thought was pretty fair. Um, 
last week in Blacksburg, Virginia Tech was a, a, around a three-point favorite at home over over Syracuse and won by 28. Um, there is no reason why Syracuse should be more than a three-point favorite against you know probably any Power 5 team at the moment, and even at home. And, you know, I, I think having Dwight Freeney and honoring him at this game will help one of the best players in, in, in program history as he gets inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame this year. Um, I, I think there are factors that are playing into into Syracuse's hands for this game. But would I be surprised at all if things get ugly? No, not not in the slightest. Thomas Castellanos is a a. a I, I I was talking to someone this week who who said he reminded him a little bit of Kyler Murray. And if you think about the Syracuse defense, if if Castellanos is extending plays, do you expect the, these cornerbacks to hold up in coverage after what we've seen the last month? Absolutely not. And the other thing I was going to bring up, Ethan, regarding this is that Emily Lecker of Syracuse.com had a tweet that really caught my eye earlier this week. It was something along the lines of Syracuse football is expected to announce its biggest crowd of the season because of it being family's weekend the only question is it's not how many tickets are sold it's how many butts end up in seats and I look at this and think to myself who is actually going to show up to this game after the atrocities we've seen of the last few weeks if you get over 40,000 in the building that's awesome because frankly this team hasn't played up to its caliber over the past few weeks and to still see a big crowd like that even though it's family's weekend that should definitely provide a bit of a bias for the lack of a better word towards it if you can still fill up that dome crowd to a reasonably high level that's pretty impressive and it should go a long way oh yeah I, and it would be great to see to see a big crowd there but i'm i'm a bit skeptical um, I, I, you know, I'll go on, on record and say, I picked our crystal ball will come out at some point before the game. I picked Boston college to win Syracuse over the last four weeks has given me no reason to believe that it can beat a power five team right now. I, I, I like, I, I'm not going to apologize for that. There's just n- no reason why I think this offense can score, you know, more than 20 points in a game. And I think if Syracuse loses this game by more than a touchdown, I don't see how there cannot be a significant coaching change, whether that is head coach or offensive defensive coordinator. So are you saying there needs to be a coaching change after this week or at the end of the season? After this, if Syracuse loses at home to Boston College by more than a touchdown, I do not see how John Wildtack can tell his fans we are committed to building a winning program and not change anything if Syracuse loses by more than a touchdown. Now, if they lose by one score and it's a competitive game, then then I understand. But if you lose by if you lose by you know double digits against your your biggest northeast rival at home on a friday night when you should have a lot of factors working in your favor then that is clear that that a change needs to be made the one thing i'll counter to that is john wildhack has shown hesitancy for the lack of a better word to be authoritative when it comes to decision like decisions like this so i'm uncertain that we would see it in the middle of the season at the end of the year, Ethan, I don't think there's an argument to be made against what you're saying. If you lose by double digits to your biggest rival that you're probably more talented than, there needs to be some change. But Friday Night Lights in the Dome, it should be a raucous environment. And Ethan, I would say these teams are 
relatively even matched all yeah yeah so. i know yeah they are i guess the problem is that if if you get embarrassed this week or you're not competitive this week you're risking the possibility of continuing to alienate your fans i already know people who have said you know who live in the you know the tri-state area who are planning before the year on going to this pit game at yankee stadium next week and based on how the last four weeks have gone it said why do i need to you know spend more of my time you know and resources on on going to see a football team that is clearly not competitive and like that's kind of where some of the this fan base is at right now which is why i say that uh if things go poorly this week yeah and then another thing you bring up with the Yankee stadium game if that if things go south this weekend we're going to be seeing a lot of canceled plans to travel from cny to new york city absolutely uh i i just you know we'll, we'll see what happens on friday night but uh, but you know it's sure to be interesting if things do go poorly for for Syracuse. Let's uh let let's let's move on to basketball. Number two, Adrian Autry's squad has completed two exhibitions uh, with a two and O record, a perfect two and O record before Monday's opener in the dome against New Hampshire. Liam, you were there for the first one last Friday against Damon, uh, which Syracuse won by I want to say thirteen, and then they beat the College of Saint Rose by twenty five on Wednesday night. And, you know, it, it, it's not good when there's kind of more news off the court than there is on the court in these <laughs> games. In the in the first game, Judah Mintz doesn't play for precautionary reasons, uh, just a little injury he picked up uh, at some point in practice. He then came back and played on Wednesday. However, Malik Brown didn't play because of a mild groin issue, he, he said, and Benny Williams was suspended, uh, which is not what you want to see out of the, Benny Williams, the you know, this is going to be crazy. The most experienced player on this team when it comes to playing games in a Syracuse jersey. That's crazy to think about. And the focusing in on these two games without the whole injury suspension aspect of it, because we'll get into that in a few minutes. Adrian Autry went into the presser after the Damien game on Friday and wasn't exactly overly thrilled because he said something along the lines of I thought the energy in the second half was terrible. And it was, Ethan. I mean, the Wildcats outscored the Orange by 10 points coming out of the locker room. And I understand that this is an exhibition game and it's not at the same stake level as the New Hampshire game will be this coming Monday. They did not look good at all in the second half. It had me worried. But at the same time, that St. Rose game on Wednesday really mitigated some of those worries for me. And here's why. The 94-feet game potential of this team is unbelievable because of the athleticism of guys like Judah Mintz, J.J. Starling, even Quadir Copeland off the bench. You have guys with plenty of bounce like that. You can get out in transition, outrun your opponents, particularly early on in the season when you're playing the Colgates, Canisius's, and New Hampshire's of the world. You have an opportunity to play a really fun brand of basketball. You're talking about on the defensive end, maybe a little full full court press. Yeah, I know. I know, I know you're. A, I know you're a fan of a full court press, Liam. Um, but yeah, I, I think the athleticism and the versatility was on display. Uh, I I've said many times uh, on this program, on other programs, that I am you know the principal owner of the real estate on Quadir Copeland Island. Um, I I own that property. Um, and I, you know, the hype coming into this year, it's, it's only made, you know, if you want to buy some, some real estate, whether it be the price, the demand is through the roof right now. So if you want some, now is the time to buy before things explode when the season starts. 
But when you look at, you know, the versatility of, of a guy like J.J. Starling who could play on or off the ball and, and complement Judah Mintz in, in different ways, and then you see what the, the kind of shooting that Chris Bell and Justin Taylor have and then the different things that Copeland can do. And, you know, I think Kyle Cuff through these two exhibition games has been a huge, you know, pleasant surprise off the bench. I think of the four transfers, he was kind of the biggest unknown. Like, we really have no idea what this guy can bring because of his history at Kansas and how little he was able to play but he showed you know the ability to be uh a, a kind of a, a a backup guard in a way and he, he offered probably even more than Simir Torrance did in in that role yeah. last season when it comes to to his ability to to find space on offense and then get out in transition he's just clearly a little more fluid and a little more athletic than, than Torrance was yeah absolutely Kyle Cuff can score at all three levels something Simir Torrance could not do. Both have similar capabilities on the defensive end, but I think Cuff is a little more athletic and has quicker hands if he's trying to pickpocket a defender per se. Kyle Cuff is a big X factor for this team because like like we talked about earlier, injuries have been a bit of an issue. If something goes down, I feel a lot more confident with Kyle Cuff in the starting lineup. Again, based off an exhibition game than I do Simon Torrance. Something else I want to bring up to you, Ethan, Justin Taylor looks like a legit three-point shooter. And the question with him is, can he bring the consistency? Because he was not consistent at all last season. And we saw a little bit of shades of that over the two exhibition games. I pointed to the first game against Damon as a premier example. 12 points in the first half, all from beyond the arc. A big goose egg in the second. Yeah, he, he needs to be consistent. And I, and I that's the thing with any shooter is it's really hard to be consistent. That's what makes the great shooters the, the great shooters uh, in terms of, you know, this team has has shooting in terms of Taylor and Bell and maybe Benny Williams. Um, we'll, we'll see if he can reach that kind of level. One more guy I want to talk about. Let's talk about the centers a little bit. We could start with Naheem McLeod. He's the guy that's gotten the majority of the time at the starting center position. And, you know, when you're going up against teams like this, it's hard for him not to be dominant. Uh, but when you look at Adrian Autry's center rotation, it was interesting. Munir Hima did not play at all. Um, and I believe Autry said that that was not for injury reasons. It was uh, more. He, I'm pretty sure he was held out of the first game for injury. And in the second game, he was on the bench with a cast on his leg. So, okay. So, question, I don't. Question. There, it, yeah, we, we could talk about, we could talk about injuries in a little bit, but the compared to the other injuries and off court issues going on, What's going on with Munir Hema is a little bit more opaque than uh, than some of the other guys. But you go McLeod, and then Peter Carey is the first center off the bench. I I have a hard time believing that in a in a competitive game, Peter Carey would be the option at backup center over playing small with Malik Brown. But Peter Carey looked active. Uh, he looked bigger than he did last year, um, and he looks like he could he could offer something down low. Yeah, I've always been of the belief that Peter Carey has the potential, assuming he puts on some build and muscle. And to his credit, it looks like he did over the summer. I'm still a little worried about his coordination. He doesn't look exactly like the most potent ball handler down low, which when you're going up against the Filipowskis and P.J. Halls of the World Come ACC play, I wouldn't exactly call that a recipe for success. So you bring up an interesting point, bringing in Malik, ball, uh, Malik Brown rather as the small ball five man and I think with a lineup like this that's super athletic and can stretch the floor a ton having a guy like that down low not necessarily the biggest but is a rim front presence and has a good power dribble 
shakes things up in a good way. Speaking of Malik Brown, let's take things there. Injuries and suspensions. Number three. Mentioned it a little bit earlier on Wednesday. Malik Brown did not play because of a slight groin issue. Munir Hima did not play because, as you said, Liam, uh, he had a, a cast. And Benny Williams was announced you know, by the team a little hour before tip that uh, he had been suspended for violating some team rules. Uh, is not expected to be a long suspension, so I would expect him to be back for the New Hampshire game on Monday. I'm not going to speculate as to what happened. I'm not really entirely sure. But I, I guess you could look at this one of two ways. Uh, it's that either Adrian Autry, you know, is is really, you know, being an enforcer and setting, you know, the standard for the program that things are not going to be tolerated. Um, and you can look at that in a positive way or you can look at that you can look at it in a positive Autry way in terms of him being an enforcer, or you can look at it in a negative Williams way, which is this is a guy who's supposed to be a leader who you know went to ACC Media Day, who's you know claimed to to have matured and 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 is ready to take that next step as a basketball player. He just needed a little bit of time to develop, and this is just you know another another setback in his Syracuse career. Plenty of unanswered questions to do with this, Ethan, and like you said, we can't really speculate too much about what he did. I think if we knew exactly what it was, it would change the story, whether it's doing something along the lines of being late for a team meeting or something else. I think that changes the narrative entirely. So we can't really speculate a whole lot there. From a Benny Williams perspective, I'm thinking to myself, oh God, this we want to root for this guy so badly because we've seen him play over the last two years and, and frankly, Ethan struggle to find his footing and really develop into the top tier player in the ACC. Many envisioned him to be two years ago now. God, time flies. So it really, it really stinks to see Ethan because you're rooting for the guy to succeed. And let's hope this isn't a long-term issue. No, I, I don't think it will be, but you know, the, Benny, you, he, what he showed in the last game against Wake Forest in the ACC tournament last year you know, sometimes people take a while to get their footing under them. Not everyone is going to come in as a freshman or even a sophomore and, and be be really good. Sometimes it takes a couple of years to develop. And I've given Benny Williams the benefit of that doubt for, for a while. And I'll st- he still has a little bit of my confidence and optimism that he can be a, a very good, you know, starting caliber player. Uh, in college basketball, it's just getting a little bit harder to believe with with the with this suspension that he's all in on on making that happen. I still do believe I will give him the benefit of the doubt that if he comes back and he's playing well, then you know all is forgotten and, and whatever. I, I I guess I'm I'm trying to find the middle between you know you need to expect more out of him but I'm still ready to believe in him. I think that's where a lot of people are. I have not lost full-on faith, per se. I think that if he comes back against New Hampshire and puts up, I don't know, 15 and 8, then all is well and forgotten. Right, but the thing is, it's not even just about 15 and 8 against New Hampshire. It's like it's doing something along those lines every night. He yeah. needs, right, it's about consistency. consistency. Yeah. Yeah, that's been the big issue for Benning Williams on the flip for shifting to injuries a bit here, Ethan. I'll talk about Judah Mintz first when he was held out against Damon. My eyebrows raised a little bit, just out of concern. Autry's press conference word saying like, he'll be fine, certainly mitigated it. And then he goes out against the College of St. Rose on Wednesday. And 
looks like the same old Judah. Did not look good from beyond the arc. Let's just get that out of the way. Did not look good from beyond the arc, but had an explosive first step, was active on the defensive end. What more can you ask for? And what is Judah good at? He's good at playmaking. He's good at drawing contact and getting to the free throw line. What did I see? Him and Chris Bell went to the free throw line 19 times in the first half combined. Yeah, by the way, that was an incredibly long game for an exhibition against the College of St. Rose Wednesday night. Incredibly. So you love to see, I mean, I, I mean, maybe even more of a takeaway than Judah going to the line is Chris Bell going to the free throw line that many times. Yeah. It shows, you know, a, a difference in his game from from last year. Uh, all right. With that, let's uh, let's move on to the other basketball team on campus that could be in for a fruitful season. Number four. Felicia Leggett Jack in Syracuse women's basketball had its only exhibition game on Tuesday night before its season starts next Tuesday at home. Uh, also against the College of St. Rose, the Orange 77-53 winners. Um, you takeaways from that game, uh, shocking DeAsia fair was uh, tied for the leading score, um, as she was for most of last year, 20 points in, in 31 minutes, uh, just, you know, a, a very solid performance from her. And, you know, a lot of players getting, getting into this game for Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, you see someone like Lexi McNabb, who didn't play a whole lot last year, had eight assists, um, Kennedy Perkins, who was, was, you know, by the end of the year was the first guard coming off the bench for Felicia Leggett Jack. Uh, she played 14 minutes, but this is kind of a different roster than we, than we saw last year for, for coach Jack, who, by the way, it's great to see her back on the sidelines after, you know, she had to be held out of AC of, uh, orange tip off and a couple of other events because of a medical issue. Uh, so great to see her back in coaching. But this is kind of, for Syracuse fans, this is going to be a little bit of a different team than we saw last year in, in Coach Jack's first season as head coach. It's, it's, it's a double-A tournament or bust, Ethan. Let's not deny it. If he, this team does not make the NCAA tournament this year, uh, I'm calling it a disappointment because there's too much talent on the floor to not make the NCAA tournament, even without Georgia Woolley, who's had a bit of a lingering issue. Hopefully she'll be ready by the time the preseason starts, by the time the Regular season starts. Yeah, Ethan, like you mentioned, DeAsia Fair, 20 points on 7 to 15 shooting and forces. Hard not to like that. But I want to focus in on some of the new players to the program. Alyssa Latham, a highly touted recruit, puts up 13 points in her orange debut. Sophie Burrows, the Australian guard, coming off the bench. 20 points on 6 of 9 shooting from beyond the arc. I don't think we'll see those types of numbers night in and night out. But anytime you have another three-point shooter off the bench, it's good news. And then how about Isabel Verjao? Anderson Verjao's niece, former Cleveland Cavalier and Golden State Warrior, puts up 10 points as well. Ethan, I think you bring up an interesting point with we're going to see a different looking team with these new faces like Burroughs, Verjao, Dominique Camp, another Buffalo transfer. But the in the central core with Fair and Woolley, assuming health, is still the same. Right, you still have Kyra Wood. Sanaya Wilson did not play in this game. I believe she's dealing with some injury issues as well. Um, you still have Elena Rice as kind of that 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 glue guy who is who is who's going to make a, a difference in a lot of different ways on the court. And then your young guard, too. sorry, a veteran too. Right, a veteran as well. Uh, and then you got your your you know your guards that are that are coming along and Perkins, McNabb, Burroughs, you mentioned. Um, this is you know it's it seems like this is Felicia you know 
building this team the way she wants it to. Last year was kind of, she brought some of her players, but there were still kind of players left over from the previous regime. This feels like kind of her first, you know, this is my team that I wanted to build. Yeah, and and if you look at the situation she found herself in last year, I mean, Von Reed found himself in a very tough position given the very, very large exodus of players. And as did Felicia Ligitschek, you know, how do you bounce back from, frankly, the worst season in recent program history? And to take her team all the way to the Super 16 of the NIT is very impressive considering where they were at. But now going into the season, it's NCAA tournament or a bust. You know, this team had a difficulties in the fourth quarter last year. They were in it with all these ranked opponents, but crumbled over the course of the final 10 minutes. You have an early test against Maryland at in College Park. You get Alabama in the ACC-SEC Challenge. And then on New Year's Eve, you get Notre Dame in ACC play. What do you what do you see here from uh, from this team? I know you said NCAA tournament or bust. I'll, I'll pose a question to you. Outside of DeAsia Fair, who do you think will be the second leading scorer over the course of the season on this Georgia team? Woolley. Georgia Woolley. Yeah, assuming he's, assuming I, she's healthy. I mean, I said I was the president of the Quarter Copeland Club. You might be the president of the Georgia Woolley Club. I mean, she can score from all three levels, is active on the defensive end. And Felicia Jack has talked about her time and time again about how big of a difference maker she can be. If the coach is on your side, there's not a whole lot you can do wrong, assuming you don't royally mess up, Ethan. Need to figure out how Coach Jack has gotten this uh, ability to recruit Australian players. Uh, that's, an, that's another thing I'm wondering about, too. Uh, Australia, I mean, maybe she, you know, it's, I mean, it's not an easy place to get to. Um, no, and I'll also say on the Georgia Woolley, Sophie Burroughs front, their accents are sick. I will. I just want. I just want to put that on the right. Have you ever been to Australia? I wish. Yeah, definitely my, a my place. Par- my, I'm pretty sure my parents went years and years ago. They've told me wonderful stories about it. Yeah, definitely a place on my bucket list to get to. Oh, yeah. All right, oh, yeah. uh, we'll see what the Australians can do for uh, for Syracuse women's basketball this season. One more topic here on Face Five to wrap things up. Number five. We talked football at the beginning, and we're going to talk football at the end. The rest of the season, after this Boston College game for Syracuse, Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium, at Georgia Tech, home against Wake Forest. Three games Syracuse could win, three games Syracuse could lose. Uh, A lot dictates on what happens against Boston College. Um, I have a really hard time believing Syracuse can win a road game. Uh, this at this point in the season, Dino Baber's record, especially in conference on the road, is is atrocious unless he's playing Boston College um, and Syracuse is not playing Boston College on the road. It's looking like the decision to voluntarily give up this Pittsburgh game at home uh, is is not great. I, I heard Dino Baber say earlier this week that the month of October was the longest he's ever been, but not at home. Uh, when it comes to travel. And I know these the, the team is only traveling for, you know, at mostly like a 48 hour period. Um, but it's still, you know, you're, you're going a lot of places and I think it takes a toll when you're traveling. Um, and it's going to take a toll when they travel to New York as well. I, 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 right now, I I thought at the bye week they would finish six and six. And I I think that is the maximum amount of wins they could get to. But really I have, I have a hard time believing that they had that just haven't given me or anyone enough confidence to think they could they could win another game. Ethan, you took the words right out of my mouth. Going into the Virginia Tech game last weekend, I was thinking to myself, hmm, I could see Syracuse winning all five of these games. 
I could also see Syracuse losing all five of these games. The Virginia Tech loss gave me real doubt or worry that the, the Orange are going to find a way to win another game this season because you mentioned it. Boston College at home, we talked about it at nauseum earlier. Kind of a toss-up, but you have two teams heading in very opposite directions. One red-hot Eagles team, another ice-cold Orange team. Then Pittsburgh at Yankee Stadium. Let, let's face it, this is the weakest Panthers team we've seen in a long time. Pitt is 2-6 and six and reeling after Pat Narduzzi's Frankly, idiotic comments earlier this week. If you, if you want to, I don't know. I guess I don't think idiotic is the right word. It, 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 I don't think idiotic is the right word. His comments are really interesting, um, because coaches, as we're accustomed to here in Syracuse, do not give you an inside look into how they're actually feeling about you know their teams. And he did that. Uh, did he handle it correctly? No, but I don't think idiotic is the word. I I thought he was being honest. And when I say say idiotic, I mean how to lose a locker room one-on-one right georgia that, tech you right. mentioned it that's the true road game in mid to late november uh the l jackets will probably be playing for honestly they might be fighting for bowl eligibility that week and then wake forest that home senior day another mediocre team in the acc if there ever was such a thing that's going to be an ugly football game the saturday after thanksgiving so i look at this and think to myself yeah these are still four games the orange could win but it wouldn't surprise me if they lost all four too. No, and not at all. I mean, look, you look at some of the content we posted on on theorangefizz.com this week, uh, leading up leading up to this game. Hey, there's just like this is what it is. Like, what can Syracuse do to get to get back on track? That was an article written by our, our own Adam Gotkin. Uh, I wrote an article on Tuesday. Uh, when will Dino Baber stop getting the benefit of the doubt? Like, th- these are the kind of things people are talking about, and and we know you want to hear about them. Um, the football schedule through 2030 was announced this week. If you want to read that, go look it out. Um, it, it's just, there are so many moving parts right now heading into this new wave of the ACC next year, when you're adding three teams and you're going to be doing a lot more traveling Syracuse goes to the West coast next year. It's it, it, unless you finish this year with strong momentum, it's hard to to garner belief in this program moving forward in the ACC. Yeah, I mean, it's going to get – I'd argue the conference is going to get even tougher next year with the additions of three new teams. You're going from 14 to 17. Makes it makes your odds of getting to the ACC title game even shorter. So it this level of play is not going away. I think Pat Narduzzi's comments at the ACC kickoff in July were a little bit overinflated that the ACC should be at the caliber of the Big Ten and the ACC – or SEC, rather. but. At the end of the day, this is a competitive conference. Not in terms of, oh my God, all the teams in here are really good, but the teams in the ACC, for the most part, are pretty evenly matched. And it's going to show in this year's standings. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think there's a clear-cut number two behind Florida State right now. And it's only going to get tougher from here on out. Syracuse could really use a win on Friday night. You know what else the ACC could use? Florida State making the college football playoff. That would be that a huge, would be nice. That'd that be a huge. Be nice. That'd be a huge boost for the league. We'll have full coverage of every Syracuse football and Syracuse basketball game on our website, theorangefizz.com. Articles posting daily. Fizz five 
weekly content podcasts as well. And then our Twitter page at Orange Fizz. That's where you'll find your live game updates for every Syracuse football and men's basketball game. And our Twitter spaces live right after the final whistle. You can hear Dino Babers or Adrian Autry's press conference and then chime into the conversation with our rotating hosts and staffers that are giving you thoughts and analysis after the game. Liam, you'll be at the Boston College game on Friday. I don't think we've gotten a prediction out of you yet. I can't predict Ethan. Oh, no prediction from Liam. He's too important. He's got to, he's got a big boy job to do tonight uh, for the BC game. So no prediction. How about a key to the game? Key to the game. I will give you that. Protect Garrett Trader because Ethan, it's not just an offensive line thing, leaving him scrambling around running for his life. It's also a receiver thing for the love of God. Can they create some separation from the defensive backs? Get open. That's something they have been awful at over the past four games. I don't know how much of this stems from Aronde Gadsden not being healthy, but the receivers and offensive line have to step it up, make their quarterback protected, and give him the ability to make plays with his legs and with his arm. Boston College 24, Syracuse 19. I think it's going to be Syracuse going to move the ball, but I think in the red zone it's going to be field goals and not touchdowns, and that will eventually be the downfall for the Orange. Thank you very much for listening to Fizz 5. We'll have a couple of new guys back next week to dive into this Boston College game, the first two men's basketball games of the year, and preview what's to come in central New York. Have a good one, everyone. Enjoy the game, and as always, go Orange. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.